against Fulham another defeat in the Premier League we pick over what happened at the KP during the second half of the Zoria game in the Ukraine in association with footballkitmarket.com it's for fox sake Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby. I'm in For Fox Sake HQ1 is normal and in For Fox Sake HQ2 hopefully I can hear and you can hear Rob Hayes. Yes, I'm here. I can hear you loud and clear. Hopefully you can hear me too. Uh, you're joining us on For Fuck's Sake at half time in Leicester's uh, latest Europa League game away in all the way over in Ukraine against Zoria Luhansk. Nil-nil at half time. And it's kind of like one of those watch-along kind of games, but not really. We'll pay attention to it in the background and we'll we'll talk about anything in, interesting that happens in the second half because, quite frankly, nothing interesting has happened in the first half. But we'll kind of do that as we go along, as we look back over the last game or so in, uh, in Leicester's recent fixtures because it's been, um, it's been an interesting 10 days or so of football. It has. We decided not to fly all the way to the Ukraine and sit outside the Zoila Hansk Stadium and, and do this because, quite frankly, it's pretty cold there and also it's miles away and also there's a worldwide pandemic. So we're going to do it from the two respective studios in front of watching screens, as Rob has just outlined. We're going to look back on the Fulham game, unfortunately. Look at this game in its entirety throughout the course of the show, but also really discuss the big news, which is the team news, the injuries, the look forward to Sheffield United, and also really what 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 has happened in the last say seven days with Leicester on the back of the draw against Braga, which means that this game is not a dead rubber because you want to win the Europa League group, but we are essentially now through. But it was a real come down after the defeats to Liverpool to then go to Braga and the last minute Vardy equaliser and then take on Fulham at home and throw an absolute spanner into the works of the Premier League season. Am I going over the top? Probably. But it was a shocker. It was a poor performance at Liverpool. But this was a, a worst performance for me, the worst performance of the season. No single player performed anywhere near what you would expect them. I thought they were uh, slow. I thought they were um, playing without any real hashtag Claude Powell intensity. I thought they were caught out very naively for the first goal. The second goal was a, just a, a mistake and showing age by Christian Fuchs. And Leicester were very poor. I First up, you look at the team and hindsight's a wonderful thing, as we know, but you looked at the side and go, OK, there we go. Most people have said after the game we should have played maybe four at the back. Maybe that was the case and it would have aided the team going further forward. I don't like a team 
with no genuine width, especially when you play 3-4-3 with the fullbacks slash wingbacks that we have at the moment. Now, if you're playing with Ricardo and Castagna, for example, or even Ricardo and, and, and Justin, then that gives you such a an impetus out wide, then you can play that formation with an attacking intent, which you need at home. But when you have James Madison and Dennis Pratt as the wider forwards in a 3-4-3, that asks an awful lot of questions of your creative players to do all the donkey work because you're not going to get through with pure speed and the the advantages that the likes of Barnes and Undair would have in the side. That's not just saying that they should play every game. But there is a time and a place for that formation. It looked to me like a Leicester team to play away from home, not at the King Power. And it worked out that way. Now, games we know rests on knife-edge decisions and chances being taken, which Leicester's XG overall this season has been very high in, in actual their conversion of chances. Because, let's face it, we don't create a lot of chances, but we do convert... Uh, a very high proportion of those. We had that double miss. The hit the post from Tillemans comes out to uh, Wesley Fofanu, who hits the bar after panicking, really, a couple of yards out. Now, I'm in. I'm under no illusion, really, that if that goes in, we win that game. It's a very easy thing to say, but we go 1-0 up, we can then control the game, and we can... Well, well con just generally control the game. And I, I would have expected Leicester to go on and win that game. Now, it didn't happen. We then get caught out through um, through a Luckman goal, which was littered with poor play from Leicester. But I want to highlight Luckman because he's become a bit of a, 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 a laughable figure, really, through the abysmal penalty he missed for Fulham at the London Stadium against West Ham. A dreadful penalty. But I thought he was absolutely excellent in that game he was quick sharp um decisive and and really penetrative is probably the word when he got the ball he ran with it he ran with it at purpose he didn't run in a straight line he cut inside he ran square he made himself available he essentially did everything that's our forward three didn't and he was the outstanding player on the pitch he broke the offside line in a fairly comical way what Fafana was doing I'm not entirely sure uh, Evans really was given a hospital pass for what he could do but he didn't cover himself in all sorts of glory it was a, initially a lost ball by Tillerman so overall just a, a, a real mess and then the penalty debatable whether it was a penalty or not I thought in real time it maybe was and then the replay shows that the guys kicked Fuchs's standing leg, which for me wasn't the most blatant penalty in the world, but it was given, and again, no real qualms after the first sight of it, and and the 2-0 down. But it was just a real calamity of a first half. Kind of what could go wrong went wrong, but no Leicester player covered himself in any way, shape or form of glory. In fact, I've got only one name down as being maybe a 7, and... And that was James Justin. He made that really good run in the first half, brought down on the edge of the box. And he, he tried to do that on a few occasions, looking very Ricardo-esque in, 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 in his movement inside, which he needs to uh, really work on and improve on. Not saying he's poor at that, he's just it's a part of a game that we want from that side of the field and from the other side. He, for me, got a seven. The rest, well below par. A terrible 45 minutes. It was a really disappointing watch, to be perfectly honest with you, especially because... You know, the the game against Braga was... Brendan Rodgers described the first half against Braga as a bit of a hangover from Liverpool, and I'd agree with that. Um, and yes, you might say that we played to the final whistle 
um, against Braga and played every second that the referee gave us. And and it doesn't matter when you score the goal as long as it's within the time. And and that's how we we managed to scrape the three three draw. But I think there were that that kind of covered up quite a lot of naivety that we then saw once more against Fulham. Uh, I totally agree with the lineup. I don't think it was. Um, uh, it didn't have enough intent for me uh, in terms of saying you're coming to our our, our home ground. We're going to show you how we play football. Um, I, I, I just think there weren't enough players in there in the right positions to cause Fulham any any danger, which I'm very surprised about because I watched Fulham against Everton uh, the week before and defensively, they're an absolute shambles. Well, they were an absolute shambles. Because they, they try and play it around at the back. They will give you the ball in their half if you press them uh, sufficiently. And they concede several goals per game, usually. So they were really there to be got at. I, I'll take your point about scoring the first goal. I think that would have probably, for most of the players out there, um, from a Leicester point of view, would have probably put to bed the Liverpool game and settled things down after a very end-to-end topsy-turvy game against Braga and just said, right, we're 1-0 up early doors, we'll control this. And and then in that case, the formation's great. But if you're trying to pick your way through a Fulham side, who I think improved defensively as the, as the game went on as well, then it makes life much more difficult. Yes, Lookman Lookman did everything that, that we wanted that we want a Leicester forward to do, but there wasn't a Leicester player on the pitch who has similar attributes to Lookman. Those players at Leicester are Harvey Barnes, and to a lesser extent at the moment in a Leicester shirt, Cengiz under, didn't see them. Your wing-backs aren't going to do that because Brighton's not the kind of player to to run at his full-back. Justin is a full-back who's been pushed a little bit higher because he's quite athletic and he's all right on the ball. But there was nowhere I don't think it was going to come from for somebody to unpick the Fulham defence. So it, it was a very disappointing one. And, and, you know, the Liverpool game was, was we said that any any point or even a positive performance and a, and a narrow defeat would would be good or a positive, certainly. Whereas against Fulham, a game that we absolutely need to be winning, that, that, that was a much more important game than the game against Liverpool for me. Uh, and it's a huge three points dropped. It, it's not again, as a no individual game is, the be-all and end-all of the season, but it's one where we should have had three more points in the bank. Certainly, and everyone really is going along the same lines as what we've said when it comes to three-word reviews. Why five defenders? That's an oof. Uh, Hated watching that. Um, Wrong formation again. Tactics all wrong. Need players back. Uh, Thanks, Christian By, referring to Fuchs. That was awful. Uh, For Fuchs' sake... Uh, also, defensive shambles continues. We need Albrighton. Uh, we deserve mid-table. All too slow, which is, I think, overall, probably the best comments because it was. And you look back, it's just those those wingers. Now, Albrighton, I was talking to my dad today about the game and everything, and he, he mentioned Albrighton, who has performed poorly in, in the last couple of occasions after playing well for the previous couple before that. And he was caught out in a number of times the game against Liverpool, for example, the cross for what the second goal really was one of those uh, one of those highlights for the wrong reasons. But uh, but it, it maybe needed someone like him maybe to play out wide of that forward three. There was just no width at all. It, 
it was very ponderous going forward. In fact, it was ponderous for the whole side. And people will look at the kickoff time, the opposition, the amount of games. It, if there is going to be one of those games where all of a sudden it just catches up and, and they don't play with 100%, they play at 80%. Now, first of all, that's not good enough. But that seemed to be that match. It really did. There was no... There was no one taking the game by the scruff. Absolutely zero creativity. And overall, just an absolutely shocking performance. Second half, Barnes comes on. I don't understand why he didn't start. I don't. Because you look at that forward three, and Madison, I thought, was very poor. Probably on overall looking at the entire side. Apart from the obvious mistakes by Fafana and, and Christian Fuchs, who, who really kind of had a shocker, then I would say I'd say Madison had a really poor game. I don't understand why Barnes isn't playing. I think alongside Vardy, in terms of those midfield and forwards, he is the next player on the list, isn't he? He he should be. It was a good finish, and he he just is that player who needs to be in the starting lineup when you play especially in the premier league if he's going to be rested rest him for games away at zoila hanskin in europe i don't understand why he wasn't playing maybe he's had a, a knock maybe uh, maybe that behind the scenes there was a reason because of the games that he's been playing that he was going to come on but if you don't play harvey barnes then you would play a light for light replacement which would be someone like jenga's under he doesn't play. Okay, well, you still need width. So you would play maybe Mark Albrighton, who can then hook the touchline and play in a different style, but still provide the width. No, he doesn't play. You play Dennis Pratt, who we know can play in that forward three, but generally away from home to help out on that side more defensively. And yeah, it it, it doesn't work out that way. When we play at Anfield, he doesn't start, and yet you think he would do. So I know you mix all these things together and, and no one has the divine rights to have their ideal team selected. And it's not a major criticism. It's just I can't understand why you would have such attacking threats on the bench at home against Fulham. And I'm a massive believer and always have been, and I've said a number of times, and if you're going to rest players or you're going to maybe play players for a maximum of a half or half an hour or whatever, play the best side you can at the start of the game and manage the game rather than bring players on. I hate that. I absolutely hate that. Play them from the start. And if you go two or three goals up or whatever, then you can then make the change. Even if you only want to play Harvey Barnes for half, for a half and then maybe Jenga's under for the other half or for whoever, then say that regardless of the lineup, uh, regardless of the score, play one for 45, play another for 45. We're in uncharted territory with the games and our European campaign, really, for Leicester. It's, it's been a while since we've been in Europe. So these things can happen. And it was just overall very disappointing. I mean, we nearly got a point in the end with um, Ineacho with the, <laughs> this, um, the miss at the end where he was falling backwards and the ball landed to him and he, and he missed it. And it would have been a, um, a point not deserved at all, but uh, it would have been a welcome point. They're no great shakes. Again, just back to Luckman, best player on the field by a mile. And... A good three points for Fulham. A real rude awakening, though, for Leicester. Apparently, Rogers was kept kept aside in the changing room for a while after the game before speaking to the press longer than usual. And hopefully, he gave him a bit of a rocket. 
because it's not good enough. And you don't want to look back on this run of games, Sheffield United and then Brighton coming up in the Premier League and going, we've only got one point from the three games. There's no defined right to beat teams in the Premier League, but it's not good enough. If you lose to Fulham in a 4-3 barnstormer after playing really well, going forward and creating chances and unfortunately got hit on the counter a few times with some pearlers of goals and, and whatever, then you can hold your hands up or maybe even a couple of rickets by the goalkeeper, say, and you lose. Things happen. But overall, that was a bit of a shocker. Yeah, I think the most disappointing thing for me was the fact that Leicester lost a lot of second balls, a lot of loose balls in in all areas of the field throughout the entire match, really. I think every every time the ball seemed to drop, it seemed to have dropped to a Fulham shirt and there'd be no Leicester player within a few yards of them. Now, if you're playing a a formation and a kind of style of football where we were struggling to have an effect in Fulham's final third. So so we weren't offering much from an attacking point of view. We were being caught out quite a lot from a defensive point of view and we were getting overrun in the midfield and not winning much ball at all and not controlling possession for the majority of the game. Then where actually were the Leicester City players? It's difficult to, to pinpoint whether it was down to the fact that the players just weren't quite up to it on the day um, and they didn't have that spring in their step and and therefore they didn't have that extra few percent and they and they didn't um, have more chance then of winning those second balls, those 50-50s. Or was it a tactical issue where Fulham outwitted us from that perspective and made sure that they had enough players in the right areas of the field to to control anything that was really loose. And and I don't really know. It, it was probably a combination of the both, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and if that f- uh, early goal goes in for Leicester, then maybe you see Leicester winning more of the loose balls and being and, and covering more ground on the on the field of play, possibly. The, the the concerning thing is that is the fact that that ball kept dropping in in areas quite often in the middle of our half, which is quite worrying. And there was rarely a midfielder there to pick it up. And, and we were really playing quite a lot of players in the middle of the park in the sense that you've got um, Tiedemans and Mendy in their central midfield positions. And then you had Madison and Pratt playing in front of them in essentially central attacking midfield positions. Yes, OK, they were they were starting maybe a bit wider, but what should have been quite a condensed area of the field was actually quite vacant from a Leicester point of view. So I think even if you're not having one of those days um, where, where your touch isn't quite right or you can't quite find that pass that you wanted to and the rhythm and the range of your passing, if it's just not going quite right, the, the least you expect, especially from a Leicester side, the least that a Leicester City fan expects is to see the players winning or at least competing for the ball and it didn't quite seem to be like that to me throughout the most of the game yeah the I mean really my my final thing for for the game against Fulham I'll just go back to a couple of players you mentioned about the midfield how Dennis Pratt didn't move further inside really to even though he's 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 playing as the wide right forward uh, to help out that midfield was quite bizarre for me but also on the other side just to go back to Madison we know his dead ball um, 
his dead ball uh, ability is very good on occasion. But overall, so far this year, I think it's been uh, below par and then in the last few games, bang average. But it was really poor, this game. And you look at overall, maybe he was carrying a knock. Maybe he was targeted a few times by their by their midfield. And he, it, it was a performance where you look at that game and the way it was going, and you're going, if anyone is playing as a number 10 for the better side, for the home side, Leicester, for the side who are much higher in the league, you expect in that game for them to really grasp the game by the scruff of the neck, grab it, and drift inside, give me the ball, I will lay the ball off, I will make things happen. And that doesn't mean a heroic crossfield ball. That doesn't mean a ball that bypasses the midfield and defends through to Vardy's feet and Leicester score. That means receiving the ball in space, laying the ball off, keeping the ball moving, keeping the ball with a Leicester shirt, something that he did, he was very poor at doing, he gave the ball away an awful lot. And it never happened. And that's the disappointing side for me when it comes to James Madison. When we're playing well and all things are right and rosy, yes, he can be a brilliant player. But when, and I don't really want to compare players, but you look at other players like Grealish. Madison is a million miles off Grealish at the moment. He doesn't score enough. He doesn't, he's not as quick. He's not as strong. And... If we had, again, I'm not, I don't have to really use him as an example, but someone like him in that side, you feel would have really grabbed that game at some point, but Madison didn't, and, I, and that's the disappointing thing. You can have a bad game, but that was just ripe for someone to grab it. And you look through that Leicester side, and because of the positional place of, say, a Yuri Tillemans, it's not really, he's not really that player to do that. He's got other attributes and other... Uh, responsibilities in the side you look at everyone else in that side no one Dennis Pratt he's not that sort of player Vardy is the the last man the number nine he can only do so much it it really does revolve around Madison and 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 it was just a a very very poor performance but we move on and we left as the team flew off to the Ukraine we left players behind we left Jamie Vardy we left Gashwish Michael Johnny Evans and Yuri Tillemans at home a good thing and the news came through pretty quickly that the three injured first-teamers, Ricardo Pereira, Kaglar Sunchu, and Wilfred Ndidi, were going to start against Zoya. And we're now well into the second half, still goalless at the time of recording. And the disappointing thing, well, first of all, they all start. And that was great news. The fact that then Sunchu goes off after 17 minutes. Now, why? Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, all that sort of thing. It was just a precaution. Look, I've just felt something. It's, you know, the hamstring, it's the calf. It just doesn't quite feel right. Let's stop now. Come off. It doesn't matter. Um, And we'll start again. And there's no real delay a week or so, whatever. Hopefully that's the case. If not, then obviously it's a big problem. Uh, The other two players, Pereira... And, uh, and Wilfred Ndidi coming off at, at half-time, Pereira for Thomas, and as you said, Mendy coming on for Ndidi. Uh, again, hopefully there's no reaction, and we can see them in first-team football in the Premier League. I doubt very much they'll be involved maybe this Sunday against Sheffield United. I think that might be a, 
a bit too much to ask. Who knows, though? We're waiting to see. I, they, they could well be on the bench, but I think starting is uh, is maybe just beyond them at the moment. You may be looking at the game against Brighton at home for a first start in the Premier League. If all goes well, uh, maybe with an appearance at home against AEK Athens in the last game in the Europa League group. So we'll just have to hold fire on the injury, but it wasn't great viewing watching Soyuncu walk off. Yeah, it was disappointing to see Soyuncu leave the field of play after after such a short period of time, really, uh, of his comeback. I, I really hope that it's not a recurrence of the, the injury or that it's just a, he's felt something um, because we didn't really have a need to rush him back, did we? We, we still got... Um, you know, left Evans at home, uh, Morgan starting obviously, Fuchs uh, fit and available, Justin can uh, can play in the centre or, or as a central three. So there were still options there for Farner only on the bench and had to come on for Soyuncu. Um, yeah, touch wood, fingers crossed that there's nothing too serious there. It's great to see uh, and Didi and Ricardo back. I think and Didi covered. Um, the ground well in the centre of midfield, uh, putting a few um, sort of trademark tackles, if you like, with those long legs. Um, Ricardo not the not the explosive bombing on fullback that that he was before the injury, but that's to be expected. Um, whether he was a little bit tentative because it's in the back of his mind, or whether it was just um, an instruction from the medical staff and from Brendan Rodgers for to say, look, just just do the job of a right back. Maybe do a Danny Simpson job and don't go too crazy. Have the odd little wander forward if you want to, but but no serious overlapping. You know, just get through forty five minutes um, of professional senior football. We'll get you in. We'll see how you are, and then we'll look at building up your game time in the coming weeks. We're in quite a fortunate position, really, in the fact that we qualified for the knockouts of the Europa League with two games to spare. So this game tonight can be used for an exercise in bringing back injured players. And also we've got the game against Athens next week, which should be almost a dead rubber. Um, Obviously, we, we still want to ensure top spot in the group and we've got tonight and next week to make that happen. Uh, but it's another opportunity for those players to get some more minutes. I don't think we'll see them in Premier League action uh, at the weekend against Sheffield United and probably not the following weekend either. But these European games, because we've been so clinical in the early stages of the group, um, they give us a really good opportunity to put those players in to um, into these games such as tonight and, and Athens next week. Yeah, it is at the moment. Again, nil-nil in the Leicester game. What, 65 on the clock. Uh, Braga a 3-1 up against EAK. So at the moment, we would be one point clear of Braga in the league. And uh, that would mean, obviously, then the final game would be... Uh, possible. Well, it, would be, it, it would still be up for grabs, essentially. So we would need to... to, to, to better their results it depends if they win or not they would need to win and if they fail to win then Leicester I think even with a defeat yeah they would need to win and unless we get absolutely trounced at home then um, then we would still finish top but we'll see what happens at the end of the uh, at the final whistle tonight when it comes to the to the group stage of the Europa League uh, and that again will be the Thursday after Sheffield United now I was on uh, earlier 
uh, on, on a few podcasts regarding Leicester, a few stations. And, and the question was really, after the game against Fulham, surely the worst team then to play would be Sheffield United because they've had a terrible record and they're looking at the Leicester results and going, oh, well, here we go. If we're going to play a team, play Leicester out of form for the last couple of games and get at a ball was a word, <laughs> a comment used a few times. But but I kind of go the other way. I know Leicester fans will be very anxious and nervy because it's typical Leicester, play well against the good big clubs and then you play against small teams in the league and that's where the problems happen. Year on, year out, it seems to be the case. But I think... It's kind of the other the flip side when it comes to the Sheffield United because of the style that they play, because of their players. It's a bit more for me looking at the two lineups that will be on the field on Sunday afternoon. What, 2.15 kickoff, I think? Bramall Lane, next near you. I think uh, it's more of a, a, a match-up uh, physically, which would suit our defence, firstly. I don't think there's any real out-and-out pace to really worry them, but also they're a bit more obvious, uh, a bit more, even though when they came up to the Premier League last season, they had the overlapping centre-halves and all that sort of thing, that's kind of disappeared and their defence has, has crumbled without Henderson, without O'Connell at the back. Sheffield United have become um, a, a team built on very flimsy foundations. I'm not sure about the keeper whatsoever. And it's they're a team where even though they still don't concede many, uh, they just don't a score anything. They, the goal scoring record this season is dreadful. But also, I know they create one or two chances, but you look at their side and they they are quite predictable. And I think away from home with the three four three working very well away from home, I can see Leicester if getting in front really dominating the game. And 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 they're almost an ideal side. And I know that. That kind of term comes with an awful lot of, oh, no, don't say that. But they really do. If you have to pick a side for Leicester to play away against, the style of play that Sheffield United have been playing this year and also overall their record, they have to be number one on the list to play away from home, I feel. I think Leicester can really get at them. And if they start confidently, I'm very confident of a Leicester win or at least a positive result. You know, who knows what could happen in the game. But... I just think the way that the two teams will match up, it's an ideal team for Leicester to play against. Again, their style, their form, but also just looking at their individual players, it's not like a Fulham and it's not like a side, say like a Brighton, will be a completely different kettle of fish uh, the week after. It's they, They're almost a unique side by themselves. West Brom... I think are, are, are similar in a way because they're quite rigid in how they play. But but I think they're just overall West Brom have more. Uh, they have players going forward who who affect the game more really than Sheffield United, and ultimately that proved in their one 0 win against Sheffield United. I think they have dangerous players and they will score goals. I think Sheffield United are overall a very this season basic and poor outfit, and I expect Leicester to not only get back on the horse, but also win the race. Now, I am usually very positive, usually uh, go for the optimistic approach when it comes to Leicester City. I think most football fans of most teams in most countries around the world would, would probably have the same outlook. But there's something about this game at the weekend that's making me feel quite pessimistic. It's 
It's probably to do with the fact that Fulham had only won one Premier League game this season until they played Leicester. And hey-ho, there we go. We go and lose. Um, You know, Sheffield United is the ideal game on paper to respond to losing to Liverpool and to Fulham by putting in a performance uh, and getting a result that sort of brings some confidence back into the side. So the fact that it's an ideal game on paper, and really when you match the squads up player by player and styles of play, etc., everything points towards a comfortable Leicester win, which is what's making me worry a little bit. And, and, and we did say that these kind of games, Fulham, Sheffield United, are good fixtures to have in between Thursday nights in the Europa League. The Fulham game didn't quite prove to be so, so hopefully the Sheffield United game does. And from a personal point of view as well, if we just um, take out the Leicester element for a moment, of course, I live in Sheffield now. A lot of the people that I work with and play football with are Sheffield United supporters. And I have maybe, I've not been rubbing anything in their faces, but I have been maybe dropping in the odd comment and asking, uh, I think I asked a colleague the other day, are you consigned to relegation to the championship yet? Uh, And he said pretty much already. Um... But I, I don't think I'll be able to walk into work on Monday morning um, with my head held particularly high if Leicester City enable Sheffield United to record their first league victory of the season. So, you know, for for my personal saving face and, and for Leicester to get a response after um, a couple of defeats in the Premier League, uh, then... Yes, I want us to beat Sheffield United. Of course, I do, and I, and I think I think we will. I'm I'm going to let optimism and positivity push through here uh, and push the pessimism to one side uh, and say that we will um, hopefully win comfortably. I think the way that we've got to do that is if we're going to insist on playing three at the back, we've got to have a, an attacking three, a front three that have the ability to stretch Sheffield United and cause them problems. They don't look anywhere near the defensive unit that they were last season. And somebody like Harvey Barnes is the player to start stretching them. I don't. We can't surely begin with um, Pratt and Madison again. It's, it just doesn't offer anything behind the Sheffield United defence other than Vardy. If you've only got one player going in behind, you can deal with that all day long, especially if you've got three centre-backs and really it's their job to pick up the one man in Vardy. So he's got to have some runners for support. Do you start Barnes and under either side of Vardy in an attacking 3-4-3 formation? Possibly. Could you, if you wanted to have somebody as the link man there in between midfield and attack... You could start maybe with Madison um, in front of Tielemans and Mendy uh, and then have Barnes playing almost as a second striker and out-and-out striker alongside Vardy um, and play it that way. Either way, I think it's absolutely got to be Harvey Barnes starting uh, in Leicester's attack on Sunday. Richard Delatz just scored, although that's for Royal Antwerp, but there we go. And uh, he has to start. He has to start at a club, at a ground where he scored an absolute perlo at the start of last season. So he'll have good memories of Bramall Lane. And and I can completely understand yourself, Rob, you know, being a little bit pessimistic regarding the fact that, you know, all your mates up in Sheffield are Sheffield United fans and all that sort of thing. So you, you don't really want to say on the podcast, you know, oh, yeah, Leicester are going to win, la-di-da-di-da. doesn't happen. And you get slaughtered for it. But I'll say it. And... Uh, 
And I agree, Barnes and maybe Under, although very hit and miss at the moment, Under. But again, you're at home to Fulham. Play the guy at the start. If you're going to pick a game to say, right, it's not quite fired for you at the start of this of the campaign uh, for your career at Leicester, for whatever, whatever reason. He's played okay in Europe, etc. How about if you're going to give him a start, at home against Fulham would have been an ideal place. But... It didn't happen, and we'll see what happens at Bramall Lane, whether he starts. For Farnes just had a really good chance for for Leicester. Me and a few friends, we've, I highlighted, actually, Wesley Fafana as the only really dangerous uh, player from a set piece for Leicester, and highlighted to him a few times, 33-1, to 25-1, to 1, first goal scorer. So that miss against Fulham early on was a bit of a shocker, really. But I think he will score goals. He's got a great leap on him as just happened against Zoya unfortunately headed it wide really but he was free in the box he, he just needs to calm down doesn't he he's become quite rash and we gave him a bit, a bit of leeway when it played against Liverpool because it was the quality of the opposition Robinson and uh, Robertson and, and Marnie on that side but against Fulham the way he dived in the way he he stepped into the tackle or attempted an offside trap that wasn't there uh, for the first goal, was very amateurish, and he, he's trying too hard now. Maybe that's because of the players alongside him, because Evans is is slightly struggling at the moment, and maybe just feeling the effects of all these games he's played. Remember international football, and not just ninety minutes, hundred and twenty minutes on occasion. And I think, and then you look the other side, and you got say Christian Fuchs, who's absolutely given his hundred percent. And people can criticise Christian Fuchs, obviously, because of his age and if he makes mistakes, etc. But there's no doubt he's giving 100% every single time. It's just his age is, is has really caught up with him and he, he can't play. That That's his best position is the left side of a back three. He can't play fullback anymore. And um, as Madison comes on for Pratt's for Leicester, it's, it's, uh, it's just he needs to keep his head because if he's trying too much, he's trying to bring the ball out, and if he loses the ball, he's 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 lost then in that position. If he's in a back two, I don't think he'll ever do that because you can't. And I've got no real worry over Fafana. It's, he, he, we know, and we've seen on numerous occasions so far in his early career at Leicester, what a player he is. It will just take... And a bit of nurturing, really, this talent, because you don't want him to lose that ability, that confidence. That was, that's what makes him a good player. I just feel that he's looking alongside him and he's feeling like he has to do an awful lot. And especially if the game's not quite going in Leicester's favour, because let's face it, all the games that he's played, and, and also down to his displays as well, have really gone for Leicester. And he's been a big part of that. I can't believe we're just not scored then. Goalkeepers made a couple of great saves. And I just feel that now the tide has kind of turned against Leicester in a few games. He He's almost then tried to step up to the plate to say, right, well, if it's not happening in the midfield and forward line, then I will do something about that and try it myself. That's a great attitude to have. Unfortunately, he's a centre-half. He's not a midfielder. He's not a centre-forward. So we don't need him to do that. So as long as he kind of gets rid of that, that kind of instinct, then I, I can't really see it being a problem. It's not like he's drastically lacking in any skill sets and it's he's been basically found out. That's just not the case whatsoever. And uh, I'd rather him make mistakes that he's doing at the moment in the style 
that he's doing, rather than going, actually, he's not as good a player as we originally thought. I just don't think that's the case. So, yeah, I've, I've no real concerns with Fafana. Maybe he does need to change his haircut, though. <laughs> well, I think... Um... You know, he came in as a 19-year-old, uh, and 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 for those of you that haven't listened to our podcast that, that talked about the signing at the time, we said it was um, probably Leicester's riskiest transfer business ever, um, and he was thrown straight into it because out of necessity, really, because of the injuries that we had, and I like his mentality in the sense that he he settled in really well. He wasn't shy about the fact that he was coming straight into a team that he didn't know, a language that he didn't particularly understand, uh, a league he'd never played in, having fairly limited experience of senior football altogether. And and he really stepped up to the plate in the moments that we needed him to. Um, yes, he's been found out a little bit over the last few weeks in terms of the fact that he is a little bit too over-eager. And I think you can probably put that down to the fact that he's 19 years old and that was one of the biggest risk factors that we talked about when we were discussing his uh, signing when it first happened. I think something that's going to benefit Fafana in the coming weeks and months is the return of Soyuncu, uh, the return of Ricardo, and hopefully not too far away the return of... Timothy Castagna and therefore there won't be so much pressure on Wesley Fofana to actually be starting every single game um, in a league where occasionally he still looks like he's finding his feet now I, I think he's been above and beyond expectations so far don't get me wrong but playing every single game is a lot of responsibility to put on a 19 year old and most of the time centre backs don't really sort of blossom or or become the sort of best version of themselves until mid to late 20s really the time when they've got more experience uh, their their judgment their mentality is much stronger yet they've still got the physicality to to perform in the premier league um and Fafana is a long way off of that we we said at the time um it, I, we were almost in a straight toss up between Tarkovsky and Fafana if if you uh, believed all the media speculation about who we were going to sign for centre half, uh, and I said when it's when it's put those two options in front of me, I probably would have plumped for Tarkovsky because he has international experience. He knows the Premier League inside out. Hundreds of appearances for Burnley, the right age as I've just mentioned, uh, mid to late twenties, and he would have slotted straight in, and there would have been no pressure on him to be starting week in week out in the Premier League. Uh, and he would have been able to, I'm, I'm, I'm confident, that, uh, get up to the level that he was playing at for Burnley very, very swiftly. You know, we signed for Fana, we went for it, and so far so good for the majority of that. But uh, I think there's a lot more still to come from Fafana. Uh, and maybe if he's third choice centre-back, if we go back to a two, if he's third choice centre-back for a little bit, uh, and he plays maybe some European games where he doesn't play quite so much, it'll give him a better chance to settle in, um, and that will only benefit him in the long run, and he's got the potential to be a very, very, very good player for Leicester City. At the moment, he's good, and he's only going to get better. 
Yes, uh, it's it, it's a difficult one really with Fofana because no one expected him for him to start so well and and to have to play all these games in quick succession. I think he's done overall incredibly well, and uh, and hopefully we have uh, no real repercussions from Soyuncuic again. I just read a few comments as you were going on about Fofana there regarding Soyuncuic at the moment. Just no news really on the podcast regarding his injury. Uh, Ricardo as well coming off at half time. Hopefully that was a plan. He played more than that for the under 23s but um no news again as yet whether there was any problems there and I think Wilf ran off quite nicely anyway so hopefully by the time we play Sheffield United you know there, there's one or two players edging towards the first team I agree with what you said early on I can't see anyone really approaching first team starting uh lineup until we play again against EAK Athens at home where you could look to the game against them Brighton at the King Power and say, now if Ricardo, as we'll just use for an example because he played in that under-23s game, if Ricardo, let's say, doesn't start against Sheffield United, is probably on the bench, uh, and then we could say that there has been a goal, and a goal for Zoya. Uh, oh no. And a terrible golf celebration as well. So 83 minutes gone. A goal for Zoya. Um, oh, no. it's Who scored, Rob? <laughs> Pronounce his name. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, he's, well, it's coming up on the on the graphics as Sayad Manesh as the goal scorer. But he's got something different on the back of his shirt. He's got Alahya. Alahya Sayad Manesh um, has opened the scoring for Zoya Lahansk. Now, there is never a time that uh, I don't wish that you and I were able to be at the King Power Stadium providing audio descriptive commentary for the supporters that need it. Um, but now might be one of them. Obviously, this is away in, in Ukraine, but the, the home leg of this would have been an absolute nightmare in terms of the pronunciation of names. Now, typically, Pete, you struggle more than me with that. Hence, you've just thrown me under the bus with that one. I hope I've done it some kind of justice. Uh, the goal's... The goal's not great, to be honest with you. There's um, there's a couple of opportunities for Leicester to clear it. We're just watching the replay, and there's a couple of half clearances, um, and then they get another opportunity to put a decent ball across the six-yard box. Leicester can't retreat quickly enough, and it's it's tucked away. Disappointing, really, considering the fact that at nil-nil, you're not under a huge amounts of pressure, and you'd hope that Leicester would have just had too much quality in the end, but... 84 minutes gone, 1-0 down, um, not not great. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest goal in the world. It was a it was a nice cross, in fact. It wasn't a shot. I first thought it was kind of a scuffed effort, but I think he uh, he managed to play it on the, to the far post and you know, so the second of the two men sliding in, poked it in, whether Fafana... I don't think, actually, I think if Fafana was going to slide in, it would have been an, an obvious own goal then, but... Um, yeah, not great. Looking at the group, Braga 4-1 up. So it looks like it's going to be 10 points each going into the final game. Braga will play Zoya and, of course, it's against AEK. So that means that the game against AEK at the King Power will now be a match-up against us and Braga in terms of results. And, well, you'd fancy Leicester against AEK, who have only got the three points. And I think that was in the first game of the campaign um where they beat so it seems to that being the case or, or at least just the one result one positive result and it seems that they're um 
they've dropped off a bit of a cliff. So you would really fancy Leicester at home against EEK Athens and and then a, a simple win would be enough to win the group. We've got 12 goals scored, so have Braga, but we've conceded five, they conceded nine. So we've got a plus four goal difference against them. And unless there's some major scoreline for Braga against Zoya, you'd say a 1-0 win would be sufficient, just any, any sort of win for Leicester. Um... So yeah, that makes the group a, a little bit more interesting, but overall hopefully it doesn't really make any difference when it turns to Leicester's approach against Sheffield United. I don't think so. I think if they went to Zoya and it ended nil-nil and they come away going, yeah, yeah, fine, whatever, we're on 11 points, Braga's on 10, we now go to Sheffield United. I, I don't think this result, even though you don't want to lose, I generally don't think a goal five minutes from time to lose 1-0, if that's going to be the case against Zoya's, going to have a huge difference on the side. I, I, I think the side is more than capable enough to pull their own socks up and, and to put in a performance to beat Sheffield United. And and, I, and I'm I'm quite confident that's what's going to be the the, the announcement or, or the way that Rodgers and the team will come out to the media and say, and to the supporters and say, look, you know, yes, it was disappointing to lose, but let's just not lose the, the side that we've done really well in Europe and also... This game in the Premier League will have no bearing on the result in Zoya. I, I think that will be the case. Now, if they do go and get beat against Sheffield United, of course, the run then starts to build up. You know, you haven't won in X amount of games and, and then it becomes disappointing. But overall, hopefully, it's not the biggest defeat in the world. It's not the biggest. It doesn't have the most meaning and it doesn't contribute to a to a, a run of games without a win. Shall we move on to something that's probably going to make you a little bit happier, Pete? I feel like we've been all uh, negative recently. Let's go for some positivity. What about the Fantasy Premier League? Oh, man, I, I don't know about making me happy about this, but uh, go on, and you play the music and I'll tell the story. OK, the top 10. We've got up into 10th place, 611 points is the score to get into the top 10. It's uh, FC Vladivik Barber's Steve Curtin's uh, team, 61 points, down into 9th place. Drake Martin with Drake Water, 613 points, down into 8th place. It's uh, Islin Weltsin with Benzin, 614 points, up into 7th place. Gareth Bell with Bulldogs Forever. 618 points, a good week, I got 70 points overall. Up into 6th place, it's Humzar Yazdani with FC Mordor with 620 points. Up into 5th place, it's John Almeida with Sagres United, 622 points. Up into 4th place, Rob Ford with Gardner's Delight, 630 points. Non-mover in third place, Kieran Ford, Vardy is my king, 631 points. Non-mover in second, it's me with Frank Sinclair own goal, 644 points. And still top is Luke Taylor, tailor-made, 648 points. So, Rob... I'm still second, and the reason that I'm quite annoyed is because I've got Ollie Watkins in my side. Now, as I sat at half-time in the final game of the previous game week, Aston Villa away to West Ham, and Grealish has scored, but 
Uh, I believe Luke had Grealish as well. He does. And I knew I was only a few points behind him. Up steps Ollie Watkins to take a penalty. He hasn't got Watkins. I have. Here we go. He scores. Great. He doesn't. He misses. Minus points. And then in injury time, Watkins scores and it gets disallowed. I needed him to score just once and I would have been top. And I worked out that I was going to be four points behind, which I am. So four points still away from Luke Taylor. I had top spot at the end of a game week for the first time in the podcast's history. Snatched away from me by those VAR Schneiders down at Stockley Park. I mean, what, uh, first of all, as much as it's a bit of a nonsense, this uh, this fancy football, it's not. It's not a nonsense. It's life or death. It really is. But that video, oh, what a what a horror! It flashed back straight away. Got a, a, a few people I know who are Villa fans, and straight away um, said to me, "What what a mess!" Because the defender was it Ogbonna had his arms all over Watkins, like round his neck. It's a foul. If Watkins goes down, that's a foul and a penalty and possibly a red card, and and there we go. So VAR check it. Is he offside? Well, his sleeve apparently was in front of the other sleeve on the far side. What a mess that is. And so he's given offside. No thought whatsoever about the penalty. And straight away, uh, again, I know a few Villa fans, and they said to me, uh, I know what you're going to say. And I just responded, that's like the handball in the semi-final second leg at Villa Park when VAR looked at the wrong handball. They looked at the wrong handball in that semi-final. We all know how that happened and what the situation was. What an absolute mess. Who are the clowns running this show? It's, it's And I said it before and I'll say it again, VAR is cheap and nasty. It's a cheap way of doing it. How they don't have VAR inside the stadium at every ground so the VAR people are there, they can see the situation and there's three or four of them watching the screens and they can look for various things when they check VAR. Not all the time, but when they check VAR. And one of them go, oh look, he's got his arms around his neck giving him a sleeper hold. It's a penalty. Never mind. But anyway... Back to the, uh, after that little uh, moment. So yeah, four points off top. The other problem I've got is the fact that I've got three Villa players in my lineup. I do have Watkins and I do have uh, Grealish. And I also got Barkley who's, who's on the bench because he's, he's injured. They don't play this week because of COVID-19 against Newcastle. So I've got three players on the bench who, so the rest of the team have to play. So it's a little bit of a problem, but there we go. I, 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 possibly could go top this week Rob but I doubt it I think this is the week where I might start to drop back down because of the Villa situation speaking of dropping down the league just trying to find your good self um where are we oh here we are um you've you've got absolutely no chance of finding me I'll tell you what I found most disappointing about the fantasy premier league this week is the fact that you didn't start the countdown in 107th place Yes, I've just found you. 107th place, 40 points. Uh, you got, what, 500 and... You got 521. So overall still, and I know this is going to sound really condescending and patronising, but if you work out, you go forward, say, 40-odd points, which if you work out, that's a really good week from a captain's pick. So maybe a captain's pick, a goalkeeper's just made a brilliant save for Zoya. Um, so it's still 1-0, but... Don't know who that was from. Was it from Iniacho? Uh, Iniacho, I think it was. That's a terrible corner once again. Iniacho, I, I think that was a his shot, left-footed 
as Ward comes forward. It's finished 1-0, so Leicester have lost 1-0. Uh, looking at the scores, Spurs have conceded an injury time goal to draw 3-3 away at Lask. So, uh, you know, overall, it shouldn't be a problem. That is a very good save by the goalkeeper. Um, it could well have been 1-1. There we go. The, the, what they should do is they should get on that plane, have a beer on the plane, and say, look, lads, forget this. You know, we'll go again. See you, see you in the morning or later in the afternoon or whatever uh, at the training ground and then we kick on, forget about this and we'll beat AEK Athens uh, on on Thursday. So yeah, you're only about 40 odd points off, you know, you're really jumping up in the league. So there is still time, Rob. Don't uh, don't be disheartened, but uh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the fancy football this week. You can't keep saying that to me every week. It does not make me feel any better at all. My team is currently absolutely terrible. I, I picked teams in the early part of the season, or players rather, that were that were showing good form in teams, I guess, that had a reasonable start to the season, the likes of Everton, Aston Villa, who have since kind of tailed off a little bit, and so has the influence of those players that I that I had selected. Um, I'm going to go for my the first of two wild cards that you're allowed to use in a season. Because I just need a shake-up, really. I need I need to get players in from teams that are in form. Uh, I need to have another look at which players are actually scoring points in, in the Fantasy Premier League and not just playing well for their respective teams. Um, we'll probably be sat here next week talking about how much further down the hundreds I am after the wild card goes horribly wrong. But, you know, we'll wait and see. I'm going to play it anyway. We'll have a go. And, uh, and we'll see where we are next time. Well, yeah, looking at through my team, I've got a, a number of players who have got decent games. I've got three Man City players. Uh, I'm going to look to try and bring in a Liverpool player in a straight swap. The problem is I've got to play my bench players. One of them is Robinson, the um, the guy from Fulham. They're away at Man City. Yes, I do have Man City players, but that's not really what you want in a defender. And also, I've got Brewster purely for value. Uh, and he was a bench player, so now he's going to start unless I change him, but I'm more than likely going to change Robinson, the defender. So overall, yeah, I can see where I can have a, I'm going to have a really poor week. Uh, I'm going to keep the three Villa players, and maybe the rearranged fixture might come along sooner rather than later, depending on, on what happens with the fixtures. But um, yeah, we'll see. I, uh, yeah, I don't really want to, you know... I suppose you could play your wild card now, Rob, but uh, I suppose actually you do need to play it before the end of December. So, yeah, you might as well, to be perfectly honest, and you can shove a load of, um, try and get three Liverpool, three Man City players in because um, they've got some decent fixtures coming up. And that's it really for the podcast. I can't think of anything extra that we haven't covered. It's, when you look at, Man City and you look at Liverpool and you look at the Premier League just in general it it is disappointing when you don't beat Fulham because we would have gone back joint top of the league and who knows come February and March what state the Premier League will be in what state football will be in whether you know fans will be allowed in the grounds by then all around the Premier League and all around English football and world football who knows hopefully that's the case and we can actually be in the stadium and, and start to cheer Leicester on with 32,000 in there and start to cheer them towards finishing in the top four. Because as we sit in the Premier League, that still has to be the target right now at this 
juncture. Now, that could all change. We could go into December, into January, sorry, looking at Lee going, yeah, top four still a name, but, you know, it's going to be slightly difficult because it started to address itself. And we're still in the uh, cup, obviously, because we've got the draw against Stoke in the third round. And also, we've still got the Europa League as well. So we're still in a very strong position. Hopefully that's the case. Who knows? We might start January with Leicester being slap bang in that top four and we need to maintain that position. But you just hope this doesn't drag on. We need to kind of snap out of it. It was, wasn't the nicest evening on Monday evening. It wasn't the nicest evening to watch. But weather-wise, it was damp. It was very wet, in fact. It's going to be cold this weekend. They've just played in sub-zero conditions and got beaten away from home. Let's rectify that. And let's hope we have another stunner like we had last season by Harvey Barnes. I'm pretty sure that will warm the cockles of all City fans. Thank you.